Hey, Crack fans. Before we get to today's show, I want to let all of you listeners know about the revolutionary work being done by our friends over at Swing Vision. Now, all of us as tennis players are constantly searching for that piece of information that's going to give us that one, two, three percent edge whenever we step onto the court. We want to know, am I hitting my forehand with enough depth? Am I accurately placing my backhands? Am I employing patterns on the court that are putting me in an optimum position to experience success? Thankfully, all of those questions can now be answered via the app produced by our friends at Swing Vision. Folks, it's extraordinarily simple. You're going to download the app. You're going to turn that app on your phone. You're going to put your phone on the back fence, the back curtain of whatever court you're playing on. You're going to hit record. And then using artificial intelligence, Swing Vision is going to break down your performance. If you click on the link that you find in the podcast description here on today's episode, you'll go right to the Swing Vision website. And of of course, friends who use our Crack Rackets promo code CRACK20 are going to get an additional $20 discount and a free 14-day pro trial on the Swing Vision app. Again, you use that promo code CRACK20, $20 discount, as well as a free 14-day pro trial. How do you find the link? To get signed up, just go back to your podcast feed. It's in the podcast description of this episode. You go to the Swing Vision website, you set up your account, you download the app, you get rocking and rolling, get all the information one location with our friends at Swing Vision. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, June 27th, day one of Wimbledon officially in the books. What a way! To kick off the year's third Grand Slam, we had upsets sprinkled throughout the day's action. We had top seeds pushed to the brink, three and five sets respectively. And then we had a bunch of players looking awfully good to kick off their Wimbledon campaign, of course, on today's show. I want to break it all down for you listeners. I want to focus on six matches in particular to start the show. Of course, have to talk about the upset of the day. Alejandro Davidovich Fokina goes up two sets. To love serves for the match up 40 love in the third set. Saw that lead evaporate as last year's semifinalist and a prohibitive favorite to make the semifinals this year, Hubi Hercots, worked his way back into the match. Ultimately, served for it in the fifth set, but in the end, it was Davidovich Fokina escaping, I suppose, with a five set upset victory over the number seven seed. Of course, want to break down that match. Talk about what makes Davidovich Fokina such a special talent. Yes, it runs hot and cold, but there's so much to like about the young Spaniards game. Of course, he wasn't the only superstar performance on the day. You had U.S. Open champion Emma Raducanu reminding everyone that it was actually Wimbledon that was her breakthrough event last season. Of course, she reached the second week last year in women's singles. This year, a top 15 seed, and that comes with all sorts of different pressures, yet somehow she found herself a prohibitive underdog today against Al Van Utvank. Van Utvank's everyone's sexy upset pick early in the tournament, but in the end, Radakanu, 4 and 4 victory. She was steady in her performance today. I'll break it down for all of you listeners on today's show. Of course, again, got to get into some of the juice on the women's side, whether it was Marie Buskova, three sets 
over Danielle Collins. You had Beatrice Haddad Maya knocked out by the always dangerous Kaya Yuvon, of course, on the men's side. Alcaraz survives in five sets. Yannick Sinner earns his first grass court main draw victory, four set win over Stan. Those are the matches I want to break down in depth. But then, of course, we'll talk about the rest of the day's results. Look at the upsets. Look at the top seeds who managed to cruise or looked comfortable in their first matches. Yeah, I'll do probably three minutes on Novak Djokovic as he's looking to win a fourth consecutive Wimbledon title, the prohibitive favorite on the men's side. Dropped a set today to Sun Wukwan. Don't think I didn't see that. I'll talk a little bit about it, but it's always tough to glean too much from a first-round Novak Djokovic Grand Slam match. Of course, again, after all of that, I'll talk about the matches that excite me the most heading into day two. Of course, if you're looking for preview content exclusively, the Great Shot podcast feed is is the place for you. Every evening, I'll offer my GSP Ace of the Day selections, my picks for each day's singles matches. Of course, I'll use the odds from our friends at DraftKings to make those picks. Four and one on day one. Hopefully, I'm praying to the tennis gods we can keep that momentum going throughout this fortnight. Wouldn't it be nice to win over 60% of our picks to finish up plus 10 units or more at the end of the fortnight? That's what I'll attempt to do. Again, all of that preview content of the day's matches available on the Great Shot podcast feed. We have specific match of the day segments where I talk about the match that excites me most. For our Crack Rackets Patreon subscribers, day two's match of the day, Simona Halep versus Carolina Mukova. I look at each player's recent run of success, not only on grass courts, not only in 2022, but of course more broadly at the slams in their recent history, break down the tactical advantages I think each of them possess and then offer a prediction for the match. If that intrigues you, you're looking for a additional Wimbledon content, or you just like to support our efforts here at Cracked Rackets, you can do that by A, continuing to listen to this show day in, day out, or B, by becoming a Patreon member. You can learn more about that on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, a shout out as always to our friends at Tennis Point for their consistent support of this podcast. Without our friends at Tennis Point, we would not be able to have a daily show. And you need to have a daily show, particularly during the Grand Slams, to cover everything that unfolds folds throughout the tennis world. Of course, Tennis Point also providing the latest and greatest equipment at the best prices to tennis players across the globe. If you need any sort of update to your equipment, turn to our friends at Tennis Point. Go to tennis-point.com today. You'll find everything you're looking for. When you do make that purchase, use our promo code CR15. Not only will it let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point, symbol not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, let's get into it. Day one of the 2022 Wimbledon, we have to start with the most significant result of the day. And certainly, if you go listen to our men's draw preview, you will hear me being very high on the chances of Hubi Hercots. The number seven seed was a semifinalist at last year's Wimbledon. And if you look at this year's draw, Hercots had a ton of opportunity, avoided being placed in Novak Djokovic or Rafael Nadal's section. And of course, those those two players, the definitive favorites at every slam at this point, but also avoided last year's finalist Matteo Berrettini in his immediate quarter of the draw. He was in the Casper Root section of the draw and the number three seed, while a French Open finalist this season, has openly expressed his dis- 
distaste for playing on grass courts. So it felt like Hoopy Hercots certainly had an opening, was the favorite according to DraftKings, was the favorite according to prognosticators everywhere, including myself, uh, heading into this 2022 Wimbledon. But of course, we looked at the front round draw. And despite the fact that overall here in 2022, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, 14 and 16, entering today's match against Hoopy Hercots. Despite that fact, we know how dangerous Davidovich Fokina can be. He, of course, reached the Monte Carlo finals earlier this season, has been a quarterfinalist at the French Open in the past, is a junior Wimbledon Grand Slam champion. Of course, Davidovich Fokina, who was one of the top juniors in the world, did win that junior Wimbledon title, uh, of course, all the way back in, I want to say, his junior career would have been 2017 uh, that he won that title. And I mean, the, it makes sense that Davidovich Fokina would have success on this surface. He's the sort of athlete that can just play significant, real, physical tennis, even on a grass court. And you look for Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, he did exactly that through the first two sets of this match. And while his first serve percentage you know, was under 60% throughout the course of the match, and in those first two sets in particular, you look for Davidovich Fokina, he was so effective in attacking behind that first serve. And, you know, the comparison for me for Davidovich Fokina, shades of Shapovalov, shades of Tommy Paul, that sort of explosive with a combination of quickness athlete. Like that's that's the sort of neighborhood he hangs out in. He has those quick twitch fibers, that ability to use his first step to take the ball early on the rise. And while he gets a little slap happy on that forehand wing, uh, he's, there's no doubt he's able to generate power off of it, able to hit through any court, certainly on the backhand wing, the more solid of the two sides. He's comfortable playing the slice. He's comfortable going down the line, cross court with depth, can play the angles as well. And even if he's an eccentric volleyer, he's a willing volleyer. He has that skill set to him. He just can do a little bit of everything. And while Davidovich Fokina is extraordinarily streaky, again, 14 and 16 overall, you look for him, he's 8 and 8 in first matches this season, meaning, you know, first matches of any tournament that he plays, 8-8 eight and eight coming into this Wimbledon. Yes, there's the Monte Carlo run. Yes, again, he's had other successes, notably throughout the course of this season, but typically, again, a lot of boomer bust for Davidovich Fokina in his weeks, and this was one of those boom days where he was executing on the first serve, executing on the second serve as well. And you look for Davidovich Fokina set number one. Again, he's you know not broken. He wins 31 of 41 points on serve. If you six holds plus a tiebreaker, you drop only 11 points on serve, you're efficient. You're doing something right. 11 winners against six unforced errors. And it's not as though Hubi played poorly. Hubi kept pace in that first set. Hubi himself won 32 of 47 points on serve and, you know, wasn't broken in that first set either. But Davidovich Fokina just could do a little bit more in the tiebreaker when both players tightened up a bit and Hercots, you know, was six feet behind the baseline, not on top of the baseline as he needs to be. Davidovich Fokina was able to make him pay, takes that first set 7-6 and gets up an early break in set number two, holds on to it throughout the course of set number two. And, you know, in that set, 21 of 28 
on serve. Five holds up, drops seven points on serve throughout the course of the set. Does not face a break point in the set. Nine winners against seven unforced errors. But again, Hoopy started to press a bit more in that second set. Hoopy landed only 48% of his first serves. 12 winners against 14 double uh, unforced errors. Excuse me. Davidovich Hokin was just straight up better than Hoopy in set number two. And then, of course, we get to set number three. And as the match comes to a conclusion, of course, again, Davidovich Fokina not broken throughout the course of his first four service games in that second set and is serving up two sets to love, 40 love, triple match point. And, you know, the point everyone refers to on tennis Twitter, up 40 love, Hercots laces a return at the body of Davidovich Fokina, an excellent return from Hubi Hercots. And, you know, Davidovich Fokina sort of lackadaisically goes for a between the leg shot that doesn't lead him anywhere. And then, you know, people point to that shot as the turning point in the match, that little lapse of concentration, which, of course, Davidovich Fokina has been played with. I mentioned the eight and eight in first round uh, matches throughout the course of this season. He's been plagued with those sorts of issues throughout his career, but that wasn't what decided the set. You know, it certainly tightened him up after he made that decision, but then Hercots connected with a couple of returns. It was really the unforced forehand error, I believe 30, uh, 40-30, where Davidovich Chokina had an attacking forehand, I believe misses it in the net. That's the one he wants back, I would say, of any of the three. I actually thought the love 40, there wasn't much Davidovich Chokina could have done with that return anyways. That's how well Hercots laced it. Certainly, again, the mindset of going for a tweener in that moment, you're one point away from an upset of a top 10 seed. Why even risk it? But again, Hoopy Hercots found his footing and was able to connect on a couple of returns and then breaks Davidovich Fokina for 7-5 and gets an early break right away in set number four and just cruises from there to a 6-2 fourth set and is the first man to break serve in set number five and serves for the match. And, you know, again, from match point down, Hubi Hercot serves for the match. But to Davidovich Fokina's credit, he did not, fa- you know, again, he stuck around in that scenario and, you know, put a couple of returns at the feet of Hubi Hercot. Was certainly the beneficiary of a couple of Hubi Hercot's unforced errors, a couple of missed plus one forehands. And, you know, for Hubi throughout the course of the match, 63 winners against 50 unforced errors, 21 aces, by the way. Hubi served exceptionally well throughout the course of this match, was broken three times in five sets. Usually that's good enough to get the job done and served for the match, but he blinked. The forehand let him down. A couple of approaches sent awry. Misses a forehand long at 30-40 to give Davidovich the Fokina the break for 5-all. And, you know, again, then we were in a second set tie, uh, a fifth set deciding tie break. And you know, as well as Hercot served, and his first serve was the biggest weapon throughout the course of the match. I mentioned the 21 aces, hit six of them in the fifth set alone, but he only made 44% of his first serves in that fifth set. And ultimately, that's what let him down in the fifth set. Breaker Davidovich Fokina making 61% of his first serves in the set, his highest number uh, throughout the course of the match. Just had a little bit more legs at the end of the match, was able to execute a bit better down the stretch. Again, Hercots had this match on his racket, just couldn't find the first serves that were affording him the free points throughout set. 
sets three and four. And a credit to Davidovich Fokina, who is that sort of superstar athlete, who now, again, has beaten a top 10 player at Wimbledon, has made a quarterfinals uh, at Roland Garros, has, you know, played significant matches at the U.S. Open, making the fourth round there in 2020 as well. He can do it on every surface. That's the upside Davidovich Fokina has, much like a Denis Shapovalov. And again, for Davidovich Fokina, it's about finding an ability to rein that in, finding an ability to find the 75% ball and being able to stick with that ball and not have the mental layoffs like uh, layoffs like he did in set number two and not have the brain farts like he did really from the end of set three through the front half of set number five. The moment those go away, this guy's got all the skills. He has the athleticism. Again, has the significant victories in his career. You look for Davidovich Fokina against the top 20 overall in his career, 9-22, but has beaten Djokovic, albeit this year at Monte Carlo, has beaten Kaspar Ruud at Roland Garros, has beaten a Berrettini, has beaten a Bautista Agut. He's got significant victories under his belt. And again, quarterfinals French Open, round of 16 U.S. Open, now a significant victory at Wimbledon as well. He's doing it across surfaces. Davidovich Fokina has been a part of our lives for a while, but just turned 23 years old, just scratching the surface of his prime. And you look at the numbers for Davidovich Fokina, 75.6% hold percentage this season. That's a career high, 3.4% above his career average, 28.1% break percentage. That's, you know, just off his career high, but 1.1% above his career averages. You're starting to see a guy who's going to be a perennial top 15, top 10 returner on tour, and the serve is coming along as well. He's always had that sort of athleticism, but the ability to win free points today and win easy plus one points, certainly that's always going to be easier on a grass court, but... Man, glass half full for Davidovich Fokina. Another special victory for the 23-year-old. On the flip side, Hubi Hurkacz now, 28-12 overall on the year. Two disappointing losses. His probably only two disappointing losses of the season have come at the slam. Straight set loss in Australia to Adrian Manorino uh, in in straight sets. You know, again, second round and then first round here at Wimbledon to Davidovich Fokina. Now, he won't be penalized because there are no points being offered at this Wimbledon. And certainly his victory in Halle will help negate some of the point drop-off after losing Wimbledon semifinal points. But... This was certainly disappointing, given he beat FAA, Kyrgios, and Daniil Medvedev 1-4 on his way to that Hala title. Also got wins over Max Cressy, who makes a final the next week. Ugo Umber, who's made a round of 16 at Wimbledon before, has won the Hala title before. Hercots looked exceptional coming into this event, and this is certainly a missed opportunity, particularly given the quarter of the draw he was put in. That said, 28-12 overall, and you know you look for him on the clay courts this season, put together a 9-4 and clay court season, which you know for his career at the ATP level, he had nine victories coming. He was 9-16 and in his career coming into the season, now goes 9-4 and overall. That's the massive jump you want to see, and given there are no points at Wimbledon, again, this isn't a massive blemish on his resume, but certainly a missed opportunity for him. And, you know, a little fuel to the fire as we head into a hard court summer where he can always have success. With that said, that's match number one on the day I wanted to get into. I have six breakdowns for all of you. Probably won't spend 11 minutes on each of them, but rather than focus on an upset next, and there were a couple of big ones, certainly on the women's side, I want to move to Emma Raducanu, who 
would lead a lot of podcasts, as she is one of these stories on the WTA Tour for Radakanu to win the U.S. Open in the fashion that she did at age 19 or age 18. Excuse me. That's just exceptional. Absolutely exceptional. The sort of historic performance that deserves the reverence that she's received. At the same time, certainly anyone who watched Emma Raducanu play outside of that U.S. Open saw that there were going to be opportunities for her to struggle a bit in her first few, you know, week, full-time, really her first full-time season, not first few weeks. It is her first full-time season for Emma Raducanu on the WTA Tour this year. And Look, we say it all the time, 60% club. If you're winning 60% of your matches, you're steadily ascending up the rankings. Now, you look for Emma Raducanu, 31-18 and 18 overall in her last 52 weeks. Certainly, that U.S. Open run buffers her stats. 8-11 here in 2022, and you know you look for her again in first round of matches this season for Emma uh, for Raducanu overall now on the year. She's... You know, a, a slightly disappointing one would say six and eight overall on the year in the first matches that she's played, whether it be round of 32, round of 64, round of 128. At the same time, there are little things that Radakanu has certainly gotten better at. Certainly, she looks fitter. She looks just to be a better mover. She looks a little stronger with her first step, and I thought that was critical today in her 6-4-6-4 victory over Ali Van Utvenk, who, again, was 12-2, I believe, or 11-2 in the grass court matches she had played in the buildup to this year's Wimbledon. And, you know, Van Utvenk, someone who has played over 50 grass court matches in her career, who has had success at various levels on grass courts, and you you look for Emma Raducanu, while well, certainly she has the notable uh, Wimbledon round of 16 on her resume from last season. You know, last season's grass court matches she played in Wimbledon and in Nottingham in the lead up to that. Those were really the first relevant grass court matches of her career. Yeah, she had played qualifying Wimbledon 2019, 2018, had gotten into the Manchester 100K with a wild card in 2018 as well. But Radakanu's run on these grass courts and run on the WTA Tour in general really began last season in Nottingham, where she beats Storm Sanders, beats Babos, makes the quarterfinals there, then again wins over Von Drusova, Kirstea Diachenko on her way to that Wimbledon round of 16. That's where it all began for Emma Raducanu. And certainly now, one year later, when you watch Raducanu play, there was a veteran guile to the way she navigated the 6-4-6-4 victory over Van Utvenk. Again, came into the match as an underdog, according to prognosticators, justifiably so, given Van Utvenk's strength. I say it all the time. Van Utvenk's a flashback to the 1990s with the style of tennis that she plays, you know, the continental grip on the forehand and her willingness to move forward, the slices, the angles. You know, Radakano comes right out of the gate, pushes Van Utvenk in her opening service game to a couple of deuce points. And then, you know, Radakano a hard-fought first service game at, as well, 4-1 all. But right away, Radakano was not folding. Right away, Radakano was in the match. And ultimately, I thought she did a better job of problem-solving against Van Utvenk than the alternative. I thought Radakano quickly recognized, okay, it's a continental grip for Ali Van Utvenk. If I can get that ball with a little bit of topspin up outside of her strike zone, or if I can get her straight 
stretched and forced to hit that ball on the run when I'm putting more action on the ball, more angle. She was able to draw unforced errors from Van Utvink. And overall in the match, Allie Van Utvink, 18 winners, but 30 unforced errors to Radakanu's 13 winners to 18 unforced errors. Again, Radakanu was the steadier of the two players. She used her backhand cross to open up the backhand down the line to force Ali Van Utvink to hit that on the run forehand. And I actually thought, you know, four of eight Radakanu, it says overall at the net, but I don't think that she definitely hit more than eight swinging volleys throughout the course of this match. Definitely pushed forward more than the four out of eight net points statistic that the Wimbledon website has indicates. I just thought she was balanced throughout the course of this match. Made 71% of her first serves, won 65% of those points, just was very... I'm thinking of the word here, very, I would say, determined in one sense, but very disciplined in the other uh, in her ability to just take the plus one ball to the open court. Don't allow Van Utvink to hit with her feet set because when she does that, she's changing direction on you and you're paralyzed because you never know where she's going to go with that flat forehand. If she's going to throw in a backhand drop shot at a moment's notice, she's got a lot of plays in her playbook and for the majority of the time in this match outside of the Nutbank first serve, really. This match was played on Emirata Kanu's terms, which, again, for Emirata Kanu in her career, she's played fewer than 20 grass court matches. And to face a veteran like Van Utvank, who, you know, again, she's not going to overwhelm with her consistency. Van Utvank's pretty solid physically, moves pretty well in and out of corners, and Van Utvank not going to beat herself. Radakanu had to problem solve. Radakanu had to create openings for herself, and she did an exceptional job of doing that. She goes down in early break in the second set, but as she did, so well in New York, just rides the momentum of the crowd and able to connect on a couple of return of serves early on the rise. And to Radakanu's credit, even while, you know, she was holding serve at a ridiculous rate at the U.S. Open. And that number has fallen off. You look for Emma Radakanu in terms of her hold percentage here in 2022. Radakanu ranks 38th amongst top 50 players, holding just 65.9% of the time this season. Her break percentage, which was equally exceptional at the U.S. Open, that stayed as a top you know, 10 number, top 11 number right now, even if you're looking at just 2022. You look for Emirata Kanu here this season. She ranks 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 11th in break percentage, breaking serve 40.7, excuse me, percent of the time. Again, that backhand returns just so smooth. The forehand, she's played around with a couple of times, but when she gets her feet set under her again, her ability to drive that ball, her on-the-run forehand in particular, her ability to find depth cross-court to challenge the Van Utvink forehand with depth and action on that ball. It's what won her this match. She was just rock solid. And again, this was the match many prognosticators, myself included, thought that she would get tripped up in. And now she hasn't. And you look at the draw for Emma Raducanu. Now she's got another tough test in Caroline Garcia, who won a title last week. Certainly, again, another player with more grass pedigree than Raducanu. Maybe a little bit more line drive power than Van Utvink had, but certainly not going to overwhelm Raducanu with anything she does. Not going to be definitively better than anything at Emma Raducanu, other than perhaps I probably like the Garcia forehand explosion a little bit more than Emma's. But it's not going to overwhelm Emma. 
on that forehand wing. And look, the draw is open now. You get through that matchup, and now you're in that third round, and anything is possible at that point, particularly given, again, she clearly has the backing of the crowd. Big victory for Emma Raducanu. You could see the smile on her face, how much it meant for her to be a top 11 seed and play on this stage center court at Wimbledon, something you can only imagine the 19-year-old has dreamed about. And to do it as, a, you know, again, the number 10 seed in this tournament and ultimately earn a 6-4, 6-4 hard-fought victory. She advances to round number two. Let's move now to a couple of upsets we saw on the day, and I'll be a bit more brief on these two in particular, but I thought Maria Buzkova was just exceptional today against Danielle Collins. She was in track meet mode. She made this match a 15 to 20 shot rally point in point out. And I wish I had the match, the, the rally statistics, I should say, for how long the rallies were, how many points they played over that, you know, 10 shot number. But again, Marie Buskova in this match, 24 winners, six unforced errors. She committed six unforced errors in two hours, 23 minutes of play against the Danielle Collins, who just comes at you with her pace, with her power. And in particular, I thought Danielle Collins started out the third set so disciplined and, you know, in this match, Buskova 5-7-6-4-6-4 victory over Danielle Collins. Collins went up 3-1 in the third set and, you know, recognized early on, okay, Buskova's just in track meet mode. If I am disciplined, if I wait three shots instead of one shot for the right approach shot, I'm just going to have an open lane down one alley of the court. And that wager paid off at the start of the third set. She did create openings for herself and was able to draw four stairs off the racket of Buzkova, who was going side to side, but simply put, was in positions of the court where no one can scrap themselves out of. And yet it was the persistence of Marie Buzkova who just kept kept on keeping on. Again, six on four stairs for her in the match, made 71% of her first serves, just continued to pressure Collins point after point and, you know, track down that extra ball, mix in just enough slice with just enough flat depth on the backhand wing and, you know, has an incredible ability to dip the first passing shot at the Collins feet and make, Collins, you know, a little bit more difficult for Collins to move forward. Though credit to Danielle Collins, 22 of 34 at the net. And again, that's a testament to her creating such large openings on that third shot that the volley was just an easy put away for her and the majority of the time she was able to square it off but credit to Buskova who made the match a track meet and then you know Danielle Collins only made 54% of her first serves Marie Buskova made her pay for that fact Buskova taking returns early on the rise down the line just getting Collins on the stretch that second serve return really the easiest way for Marie Buskova to play front foot offense but it was the defensive skills of Buskova again just exceptional and what a year it's been for Marie Buskova nearly falls out of the top 100 now back up to number 65 in the world makes the final in Guadalajara earlier this season and you look for Buskova she's had to come through qualifying on four different occasions this season. Each time she has, it's paid off. Comes through qualifying in Adelaide. First tournament of the year, wins a match there before getting knocked out by Rabakana. Then comes through qualifying in Indian Wells. Wins two matches there 
before getting knocked out by Kuder Matova. She has to go through qualifying in Miami, wins a match there. Qualifying in Madrid, wins two matches there. It's how you get yourself back into the top 75. And for the soon-to-be 24-year-old, that's right where you want to be at this stage of your career. Unfortunately, no points rewarded for Buzkova for this victory, but you look for her now in her career on grass courts. 13-12 and 12 overall, made second round of Wimbledon back in 2019 and has made a quarterfinal in Birmingham back in 2021 as well. With the athleticism, her ability to actually move in and out of corners, that's just an invaluable skill on this surface. And while the serve will never overwhelm, she makes enough of the first serves to just keep things at a minimum at neutral in those service games. And neutral is where Marie Buskova thrives. Again, credit to her for coaxing the errors out of Collins. Collins, 45 winners, 53 unforced errors. There's a 47 unforced error gap. Didn't help that Collins had 11 double faults, certainly in those 53 unforced errors. But that's a credit to the pressure Buskova was putting on her with her second serve return. And again, for Marie Buskova, fantastic performance to secure the victory. You look for Danielle Collins. Certainly, she's dealt with so many different injuries this season. And, you know, outside of the, the six and one performance she put together in Australia, she's six and five outside of the Australian Open this season. Now reach the quarterfinals in Miami. But outside of that round of 32 Madrid, round of 16 in Rome, round of 64 Roland Garros, first round exit in Dubai, you know, obviously first round loss at Wimbledon again has had some different health issues at various points of the season, but just hasn't quite captured that momentum like it felt like she might after the that Australian Open Miami opening two runs in the first three months of the season. Nevertheless, you keep an eye on Danielle Collins always as she's got a huge summer of points to defend right now sitting at number eight in the rankings right now sitting at number 10 in the points race. Keep an eye on Danielle Collins as we head down the season's home stretch. But unfortunately, it's Marie Buzkova knocking her out of our view for the rest of this Wimbledon. The other major upset, I would say, of the day on the women's side, Kaya Yuvon knocks off Beatrice Haddad Maya in three sets. Of course, Haddad Maya wins events the first two weeks of the grass court season, reaches a final last week before getting knocked out uh, ultimately in three sets in the final, of course, uh, to end her run by uh, Petra, or excuse me, straight sets by Petra Kvitova. But look, Kaya Yvonne's had an excellent season. The 21-year-old, currently 24-13 and 13 overall on the year, made the final in Strasbourg right before the French Open where she beat Burtons, beat Pliskova, lost 7-6, 6-7, 7-6 to Kerber in the final. Then a three-set loss for her second round to Paula Bedosa in Roland Garros. It's been a breakthrough sort of season for Yuvon, who's had to do it the hard way in a bunch of different locations, had to qualify in Adelaide uh, before, you know, when, uh, reaching the quarterfinals there and had to qualify in St. Petersburg before making the round of 16, qualify in Indian Wells before winning a match there, making round of 64, getting knocked out three sets by uh, by Saris Rebes Tormo, qualifies and wins a match in Doha. She's had to do it the hard way. But it's paid off, and she was up to a career high number 58 at the start of June, currently sitting at number 60 in the rankings. Kaya Yuvan, I've said this before, it reminds me a lot of Belinda Bencic, just two players who strike the ball so brilliantly from the baseline and use that ball striking to be aggressive 
and hold their positioning on the baseline. Kai Yvonne did an exceptional job of changing direction today on Beatriz Haddad Maya, and Yvonne was exceptional behind the first serve, won 83% of her first serve points, 38 of 46 throughout the course of the match. But perhaps more importantly than that, you know, just again, kept Haddad Maya off rhythm by changing direction from the baseline, not hitting more than two balls in the same direction in a row throughout the course of this match. And while 19 winners against 25 unforced errors isn't something you write home about in terms of a winners to unforced error ratio, Yvonne was just on top of the baseline. She was the one dictating play, and Haddad Maya blinked a bit. You know, 34 unforced errors for Haddad Maya on the day. Yeah, she made 68% of her first serves, but just wasn't as effective with that first serve as she was earlier on. There was a little bit of doubt, a little bit of hesitation trying to pull the trigger on the plus one ball. Again, credit to Yuvan who introduced that doubt with her relentless aggression on the return of serve and just swinging freely at just about everything throughout the course of this match. And again, for Kaya Yuvan, you know, is a former top junior in the world, has had some standout results already in her career, the Strasbourg final being the biggest of it. But of course, Kaya Yuvan had reached multiple ITF finals by the time she had turned 18 years old. It's been slow and steady for Kaya Yvonne. 13 and 14 last season on tour. Now 14 and 11, or as I mentioned overall this year, 24 and 13, but 14 and 11 in tour level matches. Break percentage uh, up to 43.4%, which would be top 10 amongst top 50 players if extended out, you know, again, against exclusively top 50 pros. And the hold percentage, well, not exceptional, up to 69.1%. And today, the first serve looked like a weapon. More importantly, if she can follow up that first serve with those sorts of plus one ground strokes, it's not going to matter if the first serve never hits elite power and it never hits an elite category because Kai Yuvan was in control throughout the course of today's matches. And again, Haddad Maya is not punished at all by this loss because, again, no points being offered by Wimbledon. Haddad Maya did the hard yards in the warm-up and lead-up to this event. Haddad Maya now up to number 25 in the live rankings, currently sitting at number 20 in the points race via the success she had here in this grass court season. So she has well-positioned herself for the American summer. But, again, all credit in the world to Kaya Yvonne showing off why she is a special talent with her upset victory today. Of course, again, those are the women's matches I wanted to take a deep dive look into on the men's side. Got to quickly talk about the Carlos Alcaraz five-set victory over Jan Leonard Struff. Simply put, Alcaraz again pun intended, found his footing throughout the course of his five-set victory. Alcaraz ultimately 4-6-7-5-4-6-7-6-6-4 win over Jan Leonard Struff. Look, Alcaraz was 2 of 14, 2 of 14 on breakpoint chances throughout the course of today's match. To Struff's credit, he only made 54% of his first serves when he did. He played plus one. He played go for broke tennis. 62 winners against 40 unforced errors. He was 71 of 114, a 62% win percentage. But again, 71 of 114 at the net. Against 95% of players, those numbers are going to be good enough to get the job done. 
Not against the special athlete that is Carlos Alcaraz, who slowly but surely figured out how to measure his footwork so that he was hitting forehand passing shots with his plus one forehand uh, with his first passing shot look. Excuse me, and you know again started to pick better targets on the return of serve, whether it was taking a step or two closer to the baseline, just ensuring that ball was dipped at the feet of Struve as opposed to going big down the line or trying to go for the cross court winner. No, it was set using the return of serve to set up the set second passing shot, which again, as the match progressed, he found on the forehand wing more and more frequently. Now, credit to Jan Leonard Struff. Did exactly what you have to do against a guy who's played fewer than five grass court matches in his career. You look for Struff, breaks Alcaraz right out of the gate in this match, and again, was constantly the aggressor and helped in set number one, set number uh, three, that he made more of his first serve. Set number three, he was 13 of 13 on first serve points throughout the course of the set. Just was exceptional behind that first serve. And again, backhand, forehand wing, didn't matter, was changing up his targets. Never approached the same way two points consecutively. Kept Alcaraz on his back foot which you absolutely have to do. But eventually Alcaraz found his footing. Eventually Carlos Alcaraz, you know, all the credit to Struve who hit 23 aces in this match. Alcaraz hit 30 aces in this match, made 65% of his first serves and, you know, fought off six of the eight break points that he faced on his own serve. 73 winners for Alcaraz against 40 unforced errors was a tidy 21 of 36 at the net, which again, for most mortals, that's good enough usually to get the job done. Struve, 71 of 114, did everything you had to do. Pressured Alcaraz, attacked the backhand, forced him to have to hit uncomfortable passing shots. Didn't allow him to cheat over onto that ad side of the court by playing the backhand down the line, by incorporating drop shots of his own to not let Alcaraz get to that play first. It didn't matter. Alcaraz problem solved. Alcaraz survived. Alcaraz served better and better as the match progressed. 61% first serve percentage in set number one was at 79% in set four, 62% in set five. Again, the machine is learning. And for Carlos Alcaraz now advances to a ridiculous 33-4 and four overall in the season. Again, he's winning over 89% of his matches on the year. He's 19 freaking years old. Just laughable. And you look for Alcaraz again overall in his career in terms of grass court matches. This was grass court match number three. You know, last year was a second round loss to Medvedev at Wimbledon. This year, he's the number five freaking seed. So yeah, that tells you about the growth of Carlos Alcaraz. Answered all the tests for me. Looked better and better moving in and out of the corners. Seemed to be able to slide a little bit on the surface. That forehand rips through anything any surface and you're just paralyzed which is that much more devastating on Wimbledon at Wimbledon when you don't have your footing under you because if Alcaraz has his feet set his forehand's a cannon and you have no idea where he's going to go for it if he hits his return of serve cleanly again you just can't put any weight behind the ball so Alcaraz is going to have his feet set on the next shot and you're in trouble Alcaraz looks good for the same reasons on a grass court that he looks good anywhere because he's really freaking good at this game. I know, revelation here, but Carlos Alcaraz, really freaking good. Five-set victory, he survives over again. About the best, Jan Leonard Struff could have hoped to throw at him. That said, Alcaraz now into round number two. Joining him will be the number 10 seed, Yannick Sinner. And I believe I saw someone tweet out, this is the first time we have, is it three or four players? I want to say it's three players in the 2000s. Yeah, three players born in the 2000s inside the top 10 of the ATP rankings. FAA, Alcaraz, Sinner, all in the top 10 right now. I mean, again, 
Yannick Sinner had never won a main draw match on a grass court heading into this one. Had won two qualifying matches, two and six overall on in his career on clay, and was dealt a tough first-round match in Stan Wawrinka, who's never been the best on grass courts, but certainly has the weapons to make Alcaraz uncomfortable. Oh, Alcaraz Sinner, excuse me, uncomfortable. That said, Yannick was the better player from start to finish in this match. And there were moments, certainly set number two, where Wawrinka, you know, was able to land first serves at an exceptional rate and was going after the second serve and just swinging freely in that second set as if he had nothing to lose. He just couldn't sustain that level against the relentless pressure that Sinner provided. And you look for Yannick Sinner, nine aces, made 64% of his first serves, 77% of his first serve points. He won, was, you know, able to fight off three of the five break points that he faced 42 winners against 33 unforced errors and efficient 18 of 31 at the net. I was most impressed by the mobility of Yannick Sinner. He was sliding and he almost slipped over a bunch of times and he did fumble a couple of times with his footing on this surface, certainly, but he looked comfortable, a little bit more fluid in and out of corners. And just, again, if he is at the tennis ball, the power he's able to generate, you're just in trouble because if he hits the ball cleanly, the pace, the depth on his ground strokes, you're just frozen on these grass courts. And if you're hitting a tennis ball frozen, you're popping the ball up and you just can't afford to pop the ball up against Yannick Sinner because he has that sort of FU power on every ground stroke that he hits. Go watch the, you know, he's serving for the second set, 5-3, love, hits a drop shot. Wawrinka tracks it down. Sinner, incredible cross coverage on a cross court full sprint hits a volley cross court out of the air for a winner there were just little things from Yannick Sinner in this match that you know again new flashes new things he's picked up in his arsenal and again it's been the quietest as we said all year quietest 27 and 8 season you'll ever see out of Yannick Sinner who's just had to start and stop with so many injuries has to retire third set round of 16 Roland Garros has to retire quarterfinals Miami Masters has to retire round of 16 before he plays Kyrgios in and Wells. Of course, you know, outside of those matches, three set loss to Tommy Paul and Eastbourne, still finding his footing has played fewer than 10 main draw matches in his career on grass courts. No shame in that. Losses to Tsitsipas, FAA, Zverev, Hercots, and Tsitsipas on the year in the matches he's played from start to finish. There's like, there's no shame in those losses, particularly for a guy who does not turn 21 years old until August. Yannick Sinner has has emerged as a top 10 player, and even with the incompletes on his calendar, he's still 15th in the points race, very much alive for the year-end finals. And again, today, not only did Sinner outpower Stan Wawrinka, he outclassed Stan Wawrinka from start to finish, and I was immensely impressed by that fact. And so uh, credit to uh, Yannick Sinner for just, again, his, I I thought, front-running ability in this match and his relentlessness and just, again, how how comfortable he was sliding in and out of corners around the court. I was thoroughly impressed by Yannick Sinner. I hope we get to continue to see him healthy in this main draw because, again, with the weapons he has, the fluidity he continues to show as a mover, there's no reason he can't uh, win a bunch of grass court matches in his career. Aggressive baseliner can definitely have success in this era on a grass court. With all of that said, those are your six breakdowns. Again, the matches that caught my eye the most at this day on this day one excuse me of the 2022 Wimbledon but look 
They're off to the races, certainly, uh, as we had just about 60 matches completed on the day, or let's see, 64 were scheduled, six didn't get completed, a couple got rescheduled as well. So about 55 matches on day one in singles at the 2022 Wimbledon. As such, you have that many matches, you're going to have upsets throughout the day. And in case this is your first daily uh, Grand Slam recap podcast, I'll go a little bit quicker through all of these matches, try to touch on as many of them as I was able to watch throughout the day, but we had six upsets total between the men and the women. You look on the women's side, four of those upsets on the day. We already mentioned the losses of Danielle Collins, Beatrice Haddad, Maya. I mean, look, Martina Trevisan is a clay court specialist. She's the number 22 seed on the back of her clay court results, but to lose 6-2-6 love to Elisabetta Cochiretto, who is a fantastic player, certainly can play some fun power tennis and great at taking the ball early on the rise, but 2-0 as the number 22 seed, that's tough. That's tough when you, uh, again, when the digits in your seed add up to more than the games you won on the court, that's that's an issue. And again, tough for Trevisan. Uh, tough result there. Tough result for Kaya Knappi, but credit to Diane Perry, who beat Barbara Krejcikova round one of the 2022 French Open, now knocks off Knappi 4-4 four and four and Again, as Perry looks to build her ranking, certainly not going to get any rankings points, as we've learned from this result. But you look for Perry right now in the rankings, the 19-year-old French woman currently up to number 75 in the live rankings. That's a career high and continues to show off her talent across surfaces. Diane Perry, if you haven't seen her play yet, you really should uh, before this Wimbledon run wraps up. Of course, on the men's side, mentioned Davidovich Fokina as the upset. The only other upset on the day, uh, the deuce, Dusan Lajevic, knocking off 16th-seeded Pablo Crenobusta. Crenobusta winning the first set 6-3, but forced to retire after dropping the second set 6-4. And, I mean, again... The deuce lives on with all these retirements. We're seeing the, you know, Cole Schreibers of the world retiring. And we're, we're losing a gen- the, the deuce generation, the deuce on Lajevic generation. He's one of the last holder-ons here as we watch the deuce compete. So certainly, again, I, I suppose that's an upset as the 16th seed is knocked off. But only two men's seeds knocked off on day one. Only four women's seeds knocked off on day one. Feels like it's either a calm before the storm or maybe, just maybe, we finally have sense of the new generations of ATP and WTA players. However, if you're asking me, I would bet on the latter. With that said, let's look at the other matches that went the distance on the day. The most relevant streak in all of tennis that no one talks enough about, Elisa Mertens. And that was a joke, by the way, for those of you who don't know. Running bit on this show, one of my pet peeves in life when people tweet out, people don't talk enough about this. It's like, what would quantify as enough? You tell me. Are we not talking about it on this show? Do you need to hear it on three of seven podcasts? But Elisa Mertens, we talk about this every Grand Slam, 17 consecutive third rounds for her at the majors. In this era of inconsistency, she has been a bastion of it at every Grand Slam. And she was down a 6-1 first set early to former top junior in the world and rising young star Kami Osorio. But Merton studied the ship. 
takes the second set 6-2, up 4-2 in the third when Osorio forced to retire. But look, that was probably Merton's toughest draw in the 17, you know, 18 now first rounds that she's played consecutively that she's won. And credit to her. She continues to advance. The streak stays alive. Three-set victory for her. Fantastic three-set victory for Angelina Kalanina as well. The 29th seed, 4-6-6-2-6-4 over Bondar. Not fantastic in the sense that she gets any points rewarded, but just a validating win. She is seeded for, you know, again, the first time at slams now. And there is a pressure that comes with having that seed next to your name when you draw a wild card, a qualifier, or someone who is ranked beneath you on this stage. And, you know, Kalanina still has played fewer than 30 grass court matches in her career, yet the physicality she plays with and her ability to extend rallies, her ability to take that return of serve on the rise and how well she competes. Again, that was a really impressive three-set victory for her. Your other three-set winners on the day, Caroline Garcia escaping 7-6 in the third over former Oklahoma standout Mia Zai. That was a fun match. And credit to Garcia. There's that, you know, post, I just won a title, yips. Whenever anyone wins a title the week before a Grand Slam, she manages to escape a 4-6 first set deficit. 6-1-7-6, she gets through the match. You also had uh, Golfy three-set win over Inglis. Kawa, three-set, I'll say upset win over Marino on the day. Now, on the men's side, I already mentioned Alcaraz, ADF going five sets. You had John Isner, 7-5 in the fifth. The big man survives to knock off Enzo Kakaot. Of course, now Isner a date with Andy Murray in round number two. That one's going to be fascinating. Nicholas Basilishvili, five sets survives over Lucas Rosal. You had my match of the day, Alejandro Tabilo, who I took plus 150 as an underdog. Uh, ultimately, was up two sets to love. Then blows that two sets to love lead. Serves for the match. Up 5-4 in the second set. Sees that lead evaporate as well. May have been 5-3, excuse me. In the second set. Sees that lead evaporate. He goes down 7-5 in the fifth set tiebreaker. And this was my first set five-set breaker I was watching live on the day. Or, well, I guess I'd already seen the Hurkats Alcaraz replay, but it just hadn't stuck in my head. Point being, I'm watching this tiebreaker live and... You know, Lazo Jure takes a 7-5 lead in the fifth set tiebreaker. And I go, okay, it's done. It's over. I lose. Ace of the day, 3-2 and two on day one. And then I remember, fifth set breaker goes to 10. That was a nice wake-up call for us here at Cracked Rackets HQ. Alejandro Tabilo against 7-6 in the third. Good victory for him over Jure. You had Manorino, uh, 6-4 in the fifth. He escapes with a victory. Ugo Umber, two sets to one down. He earns a five-set victory. Ugo Umber, I believe, now going to face Kasparud. The lefty, again, has made a second week at Wimbledon. The three-seed Kasparud has not. That's a fun matchup, particularly, again, lefty into the root backhand on this surface. That's a very fun, very fun second round matchup and credit to Ugo Umber for surviving the rising Tomas Martin Echeverri. But those were your matches that went the distance on day number one. Again, a bunch of them on the men's and women's side. We imagine that trend will continue. Let's look at the rest of the results to finish our podcast here of day number one. Of course, I've yet to talk about some of the top seeds. That's because a lot of them cruised here. On day number one, you look at it, Annette Conteve got tested in the first set. Clearly, you know, hadn't played a match in a while. Her footing was off, particularly early in rallies, but, you know, continued to attack relentlessly. Bernardo Pera on the backhand matched up so well with the lefty pair, ultimately 7-5-6-1. That's a confidence-boosting win for Annette Conteve, who just about everyone has written off heading into this Wimbledon. Maybe that's when she's at her most dangerous, when there are literally zero expectations on her shoulder, despite her being the number two 
seed, of course, owned Jabour. Looked like the finalist contender, I believe her to be. Jabour, 6-1-6-3 win over Miriam Borkland was just in control of everything. Showed off the entire bag of trips, the drop shots, the lobs, the short angles. It was delightful. Absolutely delightful. And again, I think Jabour is my second. I think if Iga Sviantek gets knocked off on Jabour, the odds would agree with me. Tennis Abstract would agree with me. I think the eye test agrees as well. On Jabour becomes the favorite. She's playing that well right now. Impressive first-round victory, particularly after her you know, first-round struggles at the French Open. Other seeds to advance on the day. Kerber, Kirstea, Ali Risk all look solid in straight-set victories. Was very impressed by Ann Lee. 6-1, 6-4 victory for her the young American advancing former junior Wimbledon finalist and again just has weapons that are a nightmare to deal with on this surface. You also had straight set wins from Lynette, Udvardi, Bagu, Niemeyer, and Serenko. Disappointing retirement from Clara Tossin. She's knocked out 4-1 on the day by my Hatama, uh, excuse me, by Hantama, uh, but forced to retire down 4-1 in that first set. Just has not been healthy here this season. And then my shocker of the day, how about the Polish qualifier, Chawalanska? over Sinyakova. Ultimately, the young Polish player, 6-love, 7-5 win over someone I thought was extraordinarily dangerous in Katarina Sinyakova. The weapons, though, of the young Polish player. If you haven't, again, put her on the list of names to watch. On the men's side, let's do four minutes on Djokovic and Murray. 6-3-3-6-6-3-6-4 win for Novak Djokovic over Sun Wukwan. I mean, there's really not that much to glean from this performance. You look for Novak overall on the day. He was fine throughout the course of the match. Makes 61% of his first serves. Wins 86% of those first serve points. Was a little sloppy on the second serve, but ultimately, you know, again, fights off four of the eight break points that he faces. 31 winners against 29 unforced errors. Just sort of wore Kwan down throughout the course of this match. And, you know, again, for Novak, was always just a little bit better then Sun Wukwan, uh, from the start of this match, I believe Kwan goes up an early break, wakes Novak up. He gets it right back. He takes, what, five of the next six games and earns a 6-3 victory uh, in that first set. Then credit to Kwan. Kept swinging freely, kept taking the ball early on the rise. Anytime Novak left him anything short on the forehand wing, Kwan elected to go after it and hit 31 winners against 26 unforced errors. You know, broke four of eight on four of eight breakpoint chances, won 75% of his first serve points. Usually that gets the job done, just not against Novak Djokovic, who simply put was a little bit better than Kwan at everything. And in the crunch time, end of set three, end of set four, did a better job of A, avoiding the Quan forehand wing altogether, but B, just generating more depth on everything that he was doing and clearly got more comfortable moving throughout the course of the match. You look at his service numbers throughout the course of the match, only made 50% of his first serves in set number one, that number 58% in set number two, 61% in set number three, 73% in set number four. He got better and better and better throughout the course of the match, as Novak always does again. He cruises, uh, well, cruises is the wrong word, but tough fought, but the sort of match he wants. Gets a little calloused up for set victory for him in round number one. Similar performance from Andy Murray. 4-6-6-3-6-2-6-4 over James Duckworth. Just slowly found his rhythm throughout the course of this match. And it took a little, a little bit longer, of course, suffered an injury in that final against Berrettini a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, it was a little bit rusty coming out of the gate, whether it was with just his movement in the corners, executing on the plus one ball. But 
credit to Duckworth as well, who, when he wasn't slicing that backhand religiously, was turning into it beautifully and was finding fun angles on the forehand on the run, was moving extraordinarily well around the court, mixing in drop shots appropriately. But then Murray found his footing. And the ultimate compliment I can offer Andy Murray is he looked healthy by the end of that match. And for Murray, yes, it was two hours, 43 minutes on court, but a fairly comfortable straight set victory for the two-time Wimbledon champion. And, you know, again, next is a matchup with John Isner, which will certainly test him from an execution standpoint, have to be so disciplined on the return of serve. But physically, that's a gift for Murray early in the tournament because you're not playing these 15, 20 shot rallies. And, you know, again, it's very plus one oriented. It's more about execution than it is about physicality when you're playing a server like uh, in Isner. And, you know, execution is where Andy Murray has always thrived, particularly at this stage of his career where he's just is a smarter player and playing more disciplined and less reliant on his athleticism to bail him out of things. The opening is there. And Murray looked healthy, which was the biggest question coming into round number one, something all of us can get excited about moving forward. But again, that's your Murray Djokovic breakdown. The other players who, you know, looked fairly comfortable on day number one on the men's side. My player of the day, Oscar Ota, 6-1-6-2-6-1 over Peter Gojewicz, 6 4 Fluid, conserve and volley, weapons everywhere, creative, not going to win a 10-ball baseline rally, but not going to play a 10-ball baseline rally either because he'll get to the net, but can withstand a 10-ball baseline rally, not as, again, religiously moving forward in the way that, say, a Maxime Cressy does. He was excellent in a straight set victory, as were the Americans, Tiafo, Tommy Paul, straight set winners on the day, Cam Norrie, Casper Ruud, both looked very much like top 10 seeds in their straight set wins over Ramos, Vanillas, and Andahar, respectively. Ruud picking up his level in particular after a rough start to the first set. I mean, again, I would spend more time on the Americans. I imagine we'll talk about them more throughout the week. But shout out to Tommy, who looked great. Francis as well. Kasmanovic out physicals. John Millman, four-set victory. Again, Djokovic going to have the chance to get calloused uh, if you look at this front portion of the draw. Kokonakis next for Djokovic. Kokonakis, a straight-set win today. Kokonakis has serious weapons to push Djokovic in ways Kwan did not. And then he'll get, you know, potentially the physical battle in Kasmanovic round number three. So an ideal uh, draw, in my opinion, if you're a Djokovic and give him time to see a little bit of everything work his way onto this surface. But again, I thought all the seeds looked pretty good throughout the course of the day. And then, you know, guys who we expected to be good, Bublik, Van Reithoven, they, big servers winning the day, wins over Fucevic, Del Bonis in straight sets. Vestley, the big lefty who's made a second week at Wimbledon, former world junior number one. I still have stock in the big lefty. He earns a straight set win over Federico Coria. Good win for Munar, straight sets over Montero. You also had four set wins from Halis, Greek Spoor, and Martyr, respectively. Of course, your match is still to finish on the women's side. Astra Sharma, Tatiana Maria split sets, as did Heather Watson, Tatiana Kortpots. Um, you also had Belinda Bencic, was down 6-4-1-5 to Chang Wang. Ultimately, comes back from that 5-1 deficit. 7-5, Bencic takes the second set, was a completely different player, had no rhythm, looked lost, looked like she had checked out, and then just became measured, patient, helped that she was offered a, a slightly lesser paced ball and a little bit, uh, a few more unforced errors down the home stretch. But boy, was Benchich delightful uh, in that second set. And the glee on her face, she lets the racket out of her hands and a massive fist pump to her bench after they win, she wins the second set. They stop play due to darkness. 
boy, as someone who invested a lot of stock in, this is a big opportunity for Belinda Bencic. It felt good to see her extend that match. And then on the men's side, Opelka, Emer, Harrison, all up two sets to love in their respective matches. Shout out Christian Harrison, two games away from the finish line against uh, Jake Clark. But that's where things are. After day one of the 2022 Wimbledon, hopefully I gave you all the information you were looking for now, and I sincerely do mean this fact. If any of you listeners have any suggestions, things you'd like us to cover, different topics, different games you'd like us to play, I have a couple in the queue that I want to introduce to help organize these slams moving forward. But, of course, I save some of them for when we have guests, which I'll try to do throughout the course of the week. Of course, again, any suggestions, though, at Crack Rackets, at A.L. Gruskin, leave them in the review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. We'd love to make these recaps as ideal for you listeners as possible. I know some of you are looking for the best matches of day two. And for the full breakdown, head on over to the Great Shot Podcast feed, our Ace of the Day segment, covering all of my favorite matches on day number two. But my top 10 list, here are the top 10 matches I'm watching on day number two on the men's and women's side. Again, 64-plus matches scheduled on day two. You've got the other halves of the singles draw, plus any matches that got postponed to day number two. You look at day two's matches. We'll start on the women's side. Number two. 10, Putin save a Cornet. Number nine, Golubic Petkovic. And again, I won't get into them until they're particularly interesting. Number eight, Pliskova Martinsova. If Pliskova serves well, she can win the title. That's why that match is on the list that high. Number seven, Serena versus Harmony Tan. Might be a little low for some of you from a Serena perspective. We'll certainly talk about her tomorrow. She'll be higher on the list than seventh. She should probably be number one. But again, quality of play, I just don't know exactly what to expect. There are some matches I think will be a very high level of quality that are just above that, such as Pagula Vekic, number eight seed. That's a tough test. Donna Vekic's breakthrough performance came on grass court. She's made a second week here before. We just haven't seen that much grass court tennis from Pagula. Kostyuk versus Swan, that's just an Alex pick because I think Marta Kostyuk can win any tournament she plays. She can also lose any match that she plays. Anisimova versus uh, Wang Xinyu, I think that's a fascinating matchup just because Xinyu rising. Anisimova always dangerous. Jung Chin Wen versus Sloane Stevens. Jung Chin Wen's going to be good on grass courts. It's going to start eventually. Why not now? Teichman versus Tom Janovich. And then Halep versus Mukova, which was my Cracked Rackets Patreon match of the day. That match has second week implications, title implications, in my opinion. Two players who have been exceptional at the majors since the start of 2019. Of course, on the men's side, my top 10. Fritz Musetti, number 10. Musetti on grass, not that interesting. Taylor Fritz, always a little bit interesting, particularly if he carries over his Eastbourne level. Jack Draper versus Zizou Bergs, number nine. Draper's going to be good at Wimbledon. He'll have a couple quarterfinals in his career extraordinarily dangerous is the unseated 20-year-old Brit. Schwartzman Kozlov, number eight. That's a pick for me. Mackie Nuno, number seven. That's a pick for me. Kyrgios versus Jubb, number six. How good is Nick Kyrgios? Paul Jubb, 2019 NCAA singles champ. Okay, that one's a little bit for me as well. Dimitrov versus Stevie Johnson. Do you know Dimitrov is actually the player Steve Johnson has played the fifth most in his career? Two and five is Stevie against Dimitrov, but it's always good tennis when those two face off. And then I think there's a clear-cut top four. Shapovalov versus Rinder Kanesh. Shapovalov hasn't won since beating Nadal. Rinder Kanesh has the sort of weapons to give Shapovalov trouble. Sinego versus Kudla. I mean, it's Dennis Kudla. Grass court season. 
tough draw for you think it's a tougher draw for Lorenzo Sinego, honestly, than you do it is for Dennis Kudla. Um, I mean, both of those guys could make third, fourth rounds, and yet, you know, both top 50 guys, in my opinion, on grass courts, they have to play first round of a slam. Runa versus Giron. Holger Runa, very much like Radakanu, everyone seems to have him as the underdog now. I'm just interested. His athleticism should translate anywhere, and he just has skills, a comfort level moving forward. I want to see him more on this surface. But the match of the day on the men's side, clearly. Number six seed, Felix Ogier Aliasim, taking on one of the rising breakthrough stars of the 2022 season in top 50 player and last week's Eastbourne finalist, Maxime Cressy. Big serves, short points, hard-hitting tennis. It's going to be a fun one, folks, on day two of the 2022 Wimbledon. And, of course, we will be back tomorrow to recap all of the action for you. And we'll have recaps every day here on the Mini Break Podcast feed. As we know, it's our job to keep you all the most well-informed, best-educated fans in the business. Again, picks for each day's play available for you all on the Great Shot Podcast Ace of the Day feed. A breakdown of my match of the day available exclusively to our Patreon subscribers. A shout-out, as always, to Super Producer Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Shout out to our friends at TennisPoint.com as well. Remember, it's Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.